amongst people who know me, there's this like weird uh, misconception, we'll call it, that I'm anti-manual therapy. Ooh. I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I do place my hands on clients very... Oh, uh, that sounds... Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, do it, bro. Say it. <laughs> Say it with your chest. <laughs> What is up, everyone? This is the PT Lens Podcast. What's going on? What's going What's on? on? What's going on? All right, we got a really special guest today. He's my physio. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, man, it's good to have you here. What's up, boys? Thanks for the. Thanks for having me. No problem, man. How's your day going today? Pretty good. Pretty chill day. Nice. How about you guys? It's good for me, man. How about you, Willie? It's been amazing. It's been hectic until this moment, until I heard Josh's voice. Ooh, it's romantic. And then it all worked out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, this is a this is a really exciting one because uh, Josh is someone who I met sometime last year. He was helping teach the acupuncture course I was taking, and oh, okay. uh, I, I started to explore some of his content after that, you know, the way we do when we meet new people, and I was really impressed with... Uh, his his specific content because it was very different from what I was seeing in the mm -hmm. physio world yeah back then and even yeah. now um yeah I remember when you were taking that course too and uh I think it was another one of our friends I think Sanaz also kind of may mm -hmm. have yeah um at some point overlapped with Josh too and I just saw some of the stuff that she was like reading into and all that stuff too so that mm -hmm. was my exposure um, to Josh, aka curated, curated mobility, or physio. I can't, I can't remember exactly what it was. I'm so sorry, I butchered it. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like that's where it. I kind of um, got exposure to some of the stuff that Josh was exploring, and it was very interesting. Um, and when Pratt uh, suggested the idea of getting him on, I was on board with it like 100%. Yeah, man, it's been uh, yeah, it's really exciting stuff, and um, from what I've seen, not really as well known and not as well practiced as it should be so josh just to get you started just introduce yourself man uh, describe your journey in the in the physio space so far and what made you choose to develop your practice in the niche that you, you've chosen uh yeah <clears throat> it's been a it's been a weird journey in the physio space to say the least at least the the start of it um, so, I mean, right now I'm working as a physiotherapist. I've been working as a physio for about six, seven years now. Um, and when I first graduated physio school, I thought for sure I was gonna get my F camp as soon as possible, go like down that manual therapy rabbit hole Ooh. as soon as I could have. Um, and then I promptly failed the licensing exam right away. Um, oh. and I had to work as a PTA for a little bit, doing ultrasounds and IFC for people for about half a year. And then during that time is, I guess, when I went down this whole movement training science rabbit hole and kind of started to shift my focus and my interest more over to that side. And here I am now. Um, okay, so a few things. <laughs> licensing exam licensing exam that was that's a that's something that um i remember when i was writing my or preparing for my written component i remember i was like july was creeping around the corner and i was in this like online course with prab and i was preparing and we wrote this mock exam and the guy said you need to have this score in order to basically be ready for the pra uh, like for the actual test and i remember i was like it was, I think it was like 70% and above, and I got like a 66 on his mock exam, and I, as soon as I saw that, I got cold feet, and I just <laughs> I skipped that. out in July, and it felt like crap, because I was like, oh my god, I'm so behind everyone, my whole thing is going to be postponed, and everything that I thought, and, and all this stuff, um, it was just, it's just interesting that you had to go through an experience of 
some form, you, you had to fail the licensing exam. Like, I, which part did you fail at? Was it the practical or the written? It was the practical. It was it was a wild time. Oh my god! Yeah. Back when we had to write those. Oh my god. Yeah, wait, I'm, so do you guys do you guys have to do the practical? No, man. You, no, man. That's not a thing no, anymore, right? No, it's not. Yeah, man. I, that's I, that's a whole mess of a situation also. Yeah, it is. I know, man. Um and it's 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 messy like you have to like do a lot of stuff for it and everything, but like practical exam, a lot of people are kind of pissed about it and we we won't even get into that at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different. What episode. I wanted. That, to, that's a whole other podcast, right? Yeah, there. that's a whole <laughs> other thing. That's a whole other thing. Um, what I wanted to ask you though was, you worked as a PTA in between, right? So, was there something in the physiotherapy assistant role that you that made you kind of more privy to um, things that were kind of opening you up to the idea of these? Of the practice that you have now, was there anything in particular that kind of drew you away from the F camp route and then put you into this route? Mm. I think more so, I would say it was probably a slow shift. Like I can't think of one specific moment where I was like, "Okay, this is kind of where I'm going <laughs> to make a sudden right turn in my entire career and shift how I how I completely see things." But like not to speak badly of any of the places that I worked at because I, I learned a lot while I was there. I kind of, I learned a lot about the ins and outs of the entire kind of like physiotherapy industry as well, but it just wasn't really how I wanted to practice. And I'd always, even before I entered physio school, I had always been interested in training science. I had just never really been exposed to it myself. Right. So I guess at least it, gave me the time to start to learn and understand some of those concepts. And as a PTA, aside from doing ultrasound, aside from doing IFC, aside from grabbing hot packs for people, I was also teaching a lot of the exercises. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, absolutely. Nothing wrong with that at all. Um, But I I guess I got a lot of reps in coaching through exercise um, and things like that. You were saying that you got those reps as a physiotherapy assistant, right? Yeah, because it was it was like a lot of those clinics that'll hire PTA. I'm, I'm sure you guys know, right? Yeah. They'll often a lot of that exercise portion will be done by the PTA. Mm. So exactly. at, at the very least, I got a lot of reps in with that, which was probably one of the most important parts of so of that. With, with that, right? As a PTA, because we to get our license, we had to read up on a lot of the jurisdiction so as a pta you were following the treatment plans from the physio right yes was there ever a situation in which like or a specific situation where you said okay uh i actually don't agree with the treatment plan from the physio and you had your ideas but you you almost couldn't step in and and enforce that on the patient like did you have uh, some some cases like that yeah, yeah, probably. Um, again, I, I, I don't want to step on any toes here um, because I, I, I do still get along very well with, with um, a lot of the people I had worked with back then. Okay, fair enough. But I think, <laughs> I think differently phrased, and I'm not just saying this in a nice way, like differently phrased, another thing I kind of realized as I was working as a PTA because I was helping out a bunch of different clinicians was kind of what I'll tell a lot of people now where I guess there's a lot of different roads to Rome, right? There's a lot of different ways you can approach a, a client, a case, and as long as you have some type of process, some type of framework, some, some type of reason why you're doing something, you'll often get the results that you're looking for, especially with, I guess we'll call it like general population. Hmm. Yeah, Waleed, me and you, me and Waleed were just talking about this the other day. Like, if we, let's say me, you, and Waleed see the same patient, yeah. we're going to have three totally different ways of approaching it, but there's a high likelihood that we're all going to make some benefit through our own unique ways of thinking and our unique perspective. Because yeah. a lot of the time, the, the relative principles seem to be the same that I've seen from, from a good practitioner. Like... Yeah. In, in tr- including some lifestyle change so we can change their activity level um, yeah. finding a 
an exercise medium that suits their schedule, suits their needs, and just getting them on something simple. Um, even educating them on, on pain science and all those good things that we, we learned in school, but maybe we would all apply it in a slightly different way, right? And I was even reading some, some research article the other day about back pain, right? A lot of times we, we put it on one specific thing, like, oh, your core is weak, or someone will say something like that. But I was reading that article and it was saying that it doesn't really matter what type of exercise you give them, their low back pain is going to improve from any exercise that targets the back. So that got me thinking like totally like what you were saying, as long as you have some framework, some way of progressing them through a, a, a specific program and a line of thinking, mm-hmm. you're probably going to see some results. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, even though we'll all probably have very different approaches, we probably are all aiming for very similar steps in between and a very similar end goal Um, which is why I guess a lot of people nowadays will kind of talk about more of a principles-led approach than a systems-based approach where you're just trying to follow a rule book right like if you're if we're all aiming for the exact same things it doesn't really matter too much how we choose to get there Mm -hmm. as long as there's some type of logic (laughs) in the choices that we're making right um Speaking of that, right, like, what is, I mean, obviously, you just said that you you don't necessarily follow a very specific system, but like, what are those steps that you're seeing that are going to be kind of like similar? Like, it seems like it's like the same kind of blueprint, but it's just a way that you execute it. Everyone kind of has their own flavor, right? Like, what are some of the things that kind of like go through your mind in terms of the steps that you take in terms of your practice itself? I think, especially over the past couple years, um, I've definitely started to be able to refine this a little bit more in my head as well. Um, and nowadays, I guess the approach that I'm more taking is, first of all, I kind of break it up into three different subgroups in my head. Um, and it kind of, uh, I've built it out in this way, just, I guess, for me, it has a pretty cool ring to it in my head so it kind of like it allows me to kind of think through this process a little bit more when I'm working with a client right but when I first see someone especially if they're coming in with an injury first thing I'm trying to do is I'm trying to create or rebuild movement options for this person to allow them to go back into the positions that they need to be in again and then we'll probably touch on this a little bit later but from there I then look to curate some more options for that person right so that they're they don't only have to rely on one way to do something they'll have a bunch of different options to choose from so that they're less fragile in their way of completing that specific task Mm -hmm. and finally at the very end of that we look to then cultivate or build resilience in those options so that when this person, when this system is placed under stress, when they go back to sport, when they're fatigued, when they haven't slept, when, they're, when their diet is terrible, they don't completely explode and have to come in again for the exact same injury, if that makes sense. Right. So what are, you were mentioning curating some movement options, right? Yeah. What are some of those unique tools or unique concepts you like to explore with your patients? to develop those movement options and specifically, you know, some things that are unique to your practice that you think other rehab professionals can also start to implement. I don't know if I would go as far as to say that anything that I'm doing is, is unique in any way. Um, I definitely, as, as you may know, um, I have taken a lot from FRC, from functional range conditioning and functional range systems as a whole as a way to just kind of inspire and provide a bit of a blueprint for a lot of the things I do. But I think more importantly than that um, is like the big game changer for me (laughs) was when I was exposed to movement through a dynamic systems theory lens um, where movement is a complex and dynamic quality which emerges just based on what we're able to do 
with all the parts that we have that we're bringing into that movement, right? So then the way I then look at that is how can I influence those parts and make it so that this person has what they need to complete that task? Yeah, so how would you, how would you go about that? And like in a very broad sense, what, what are some of your tools? Yeah, um, I really like looking at things from a very isolated, joint-specific approach. Because that way, it allows me to very specifically apply stress to that joint, to the tissues that I need to, without the body being able to shift that towards another area, right? Um, and that's kind of where we talk about creating an option or kind of curating more options, right? As we start to open up more capacity in that joint, then we can start to mix that back in globally into a larger movement. Like say, for example, with the squat, right? Um, we might take a look at just the hip or just the ankle in and of itself, how well that hip and how well that ankle is able to move. Once we've hit a certain point, once we've opened enough movement in that hip or in that ankle, then we can start to plug that back into the squat so that the person can then practice using that new or that better hip that we've created with some of those more isolated exercises. Gotcha. Okay. Um, So, okay. The question that I would have with that then is if you're, like from what I'm understanding, like you, you see movement as a thing that kind of is the driving force behind your practice, right? That was really the game changer for you. And um, you're you're now saying that you kind of look for the problem, create more space and try to resolve, not resolve, but make that problem less of an issue. And then in an isolated instance, and then you plug it back into a global movement, right? Such as a squat. Is there like a systems like not a system is there like movement patterns that you kind of look for like in your assessments maybe like let's say for example could be as simple as okay this person comes in my hip hurts okay do it like you do you get them to do movements that are specific to your system like do you get them to do a squat lunge etc etc and then see what the issues are and then create the change in an isolated instance and then see how those movements are affected yeah um let me know if I'm going too deep. Um, but no, 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 no. This is, is we want you to go deeper. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. That's why I made it like deeper, very homie. specific. For sure. So um, I guess basically when someone comes in, first thing I want to see is just overall, how are they moving? How are they exploring? I guess the environment. The environment. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And we'll take a look at some of these global movement patterns, like a squat, like a lunge like a jump, like a hop, basically just take a look at, again, how they're managing their parts. Gotcha. From there, I might then take a look at, through FRC, what we take a look at is cars or controlled articular rotations. Um, yeah. So essentially with a car, what we're taking a look at then is we're zooming into those specific joints in and of themselves, right? We're just taking a look and seeing how well or how much of that joint that person has access to and how much of that joint they can control. So we'll often refer to that as their workspace. The car is is referred to as as the workspace then? Yeah, the car just gives us a little bit of insight into their joint workspace, right? So say the size of someone's shoulder car, size of someone's hip car, then gives me some type of idea of how much of a shoulder they have or how much of a hip they have that they can then use to contribute to that movement, like an overhead press or like a squat or running or jumping, whatever. Gotcha, okay. Um, So that gives me an idea of, in my head, I see that as just movement capacity. Can this person go into these positions actively? Can they go into these positions passively? Um, which we are taught to look at through in physio school. Yes, yeah. From there, depending on the case, I'll probably then take a look at my capacity testing um, for upper body or for lower body, where we then see how some of these key muscle groups or some of these key joints respond to, I guess, longer exposures of stress, 
Gotcha, right, so okay. kind of an idea of strength endurance or something like that. Right. And then, okay. again, okay. depending on the case, we might then take a look at peak force, see how much force these joints, how much force these muscles of interest are able to generate. And all of that will then start to paint a clearer picture of what this person is like and what this person might need. I think with Prab, we also did a bit of like jump testing as well, which gives us an idea of how well they manage those forces quickly. Yeah, so when you say uh, muscle endurance, are you doing something along the lines of isometrics or repeated movements or just like a, a, like a bridge hold, something like that? Or uh, are there other things you're doing as well? Or, or is it just like you're looking at, does, does the ability of someone's works, like when you're assessing their cars, is that also something that you kind of look at as their ability to kind of endure those, I guess, extreme ranges um, and how well they can kind of slow down the movement in those too? Like, is that also something that you kind of look at as endurance too? Uh, not quite, right? The cars themselves, they can definitely be shifted and pivoted in a way where we're starting to look at things like endurance. But I think for assessment sake, um, it's just easier to look at it as an overall, how well can this person move? It's just a lot easier. It's hard to standardize something like that anyways, but it's a lot easier to then kind of compare between people or compare between sessions even. Um, whereas with a lot of the capacity testing, we're probably more looking for sets to failure, um, or we're taking a look to see how long someone can hold a position for. And both of these would just kind of be depending on what we're testing. So for example, um, I'll do some calf capacity testing where it's essentially just calf raises to failure, um, or hamstring capacity testing a single leg elevated bridge to failure okay so yeah like pretty much what you were saying was yeah holding like seeing how long isometric holds maybe comparing between sides repetitions how many reps can you do on each side and compare um cool so i want to get a little bit i'm trying to raise the spice level a little bit so in your assessment yeah do you ever put your hands on people and if not, <laughs> yeah. If not, why? <laughs> okay, so the reason that I'm laughing is because mad. Um, no, because I, I think there's there's this um, amongst people who know me, there's this like weird uh, misconception we'll call it that I'm anti manual therapy. Ooh. Um, and I'm 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 not. <laughs> I do place my hands on clients very... Oh, that sounds... Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, do it, bro. Say it. <laughs> Say it with your chest. <laughs> I do use my hands very often um, during assessment and during treatment, um, yep. but yep. more so with cueing strategies, right? Mm. Um, okay. Because I... I I do still feel like our hands are our best way to understand how someone else's system is moving. And it's also our easiest way to influence and teach someone else's system to do something, right? Because it's, it's a very easy way to feel where movement is coming from. And it's also a very easy way to kind of very specifically show someone, hey, this is where we want movement to come from, or to kind of guide what that movement should look or feel like, right? Yeah. Um, it's a very easy way to provide a constraint for that person. So you mostly use it for, uh, like, cueing and... Cueing and awareness, I think, from what I understand. Yeah, like, awareness of maybe you're putting, like, literally putting your hands on the the muscle or the area that you want us to lift or hold etc and then you also get an idea of okay is this person uh, actually uh, creating that contraction in the area where we want is, is that sort of what the way in which you use it absolutely like um i i think the best way to cue someone or the more the most effective way to cue someone is just to honestly as comfortable as as far as comfort allows for both you and for the client is to just 
to get as close to that client as possible so that you can feel and influence movement as best as possible. Um, okay. I, I, I think like one of those, <laughs> I think where you were getting at with that, with that initial question though, was like, I, I don't really assess joint mobs unless the case kind of, uh, really pushes me towards that yeah yeah that makes sense so you don't yeah. think like i can do a t-spine pivot and glide the transverse processes and all that stuff no like probably not that specifically at least right i, I do think manual therapy can kind of provide some type of change or prime the system so that we can change it with some type of loading or some type of movement input um but i don't think I, I don't know, my, my bias might change, but I don't think, at least as of right now, I don't think manual therapy can create any type of permanent change so in any ever, lasting way. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever yeah. get a backlash on your choice not to use it with a lot of your patients? Like, do you ever have to have an issue explaining these things to your patients who obviously they may have their preconceived biases about what physiotherapy treatment yeah like entails. what if i come to you josh and i'm like <laughs> my neck is tight you need to like release it it feels really good when you release it and i'm sure you get that all the time right how do you explain how do you go about wording that to people and um how, what's your experience been with that in your practice I think, first of all, I'll say I, I don't actually get that that often. Um, and I think that it's, I think that's because of how I market myself. And I think that's also because of how the clinic where I'm at kind of does a lot of their marketing. Mm, true. Um, but at okay. the same time, like at the end of the day, it's, this entire process, this entire rehab process, it's a partnership, right? Like I'm, I'm working with the client um, to best solve their problem. Like it's not like a my, uh, my way or the highway kind of thing, right? If someone comes in and if they feel like they will benefit from manual therapy, then, then, I'll, then I'll do it. Like I'm, I'm not opposed to doing it, and there are there are times in clinic where I am just in the room on the table doing manual therapy, but I think okay. a majority of my caseload nowadays is more kind of towards the movement side of things, mm -hmm. and I think it helps when you frame the solution in a way that kind of guides the client to make that conclusion themselves right like I, i'm sure we've all gotten the client who comes in and it's like oh like i i'm really tight in my traps and i just need you to release it and this happens all the time yeah like i i see so and so a couple times a week and i've seen this person for the past couple years yeah right so i'll, I'll often just kind of spin that as like do you want to create a longer lasting change instead of just coming to see me all the time i'll even straight up tell a client like if manual therapy is what you want like it's it's good for my bank account keep coming in i i honestly i don't really care at the end of the day if that's what you want and if that's what makes you happy mm, right yeah. um it's it's financially beneficial for me for you to come in twice a week for the rest of your life nice. it's just not yeah. it's not fun for me it doesn't interest me and it it doesn't really help you in any way <laughs> and then once they yeah. hear that then they even if it's not in that first session those gears start to turn and then probably they'll come back in a couple of sessions and they'll be like hey yeah. i see you doing some cool shit with like the other client who was just before me can we try some of that yeah cool man i'm sure that honesty too like yo straight up like yeah like it's good for me if you do it. But the fact that I'm telling you, hey, this is probably a better option, and it's actually going to take away from the amount of times I see you because you're actually going to get better, I'm sure that establishes the rapport even stronger. And now they, they build that, you know, that's what they taught us in school, that building that relationship with the client. That's like one of the best ways to just be totally open with with that. That's a, that's a really good point that you just yeah. said. Um, and also going back to your point that you're, you're talking about, 
the marketing in your clinic it goes back to what people were telling us when we were trying to pick where we want to work right is really picking the clinic and picking the employer whose yeah. values align with your own if yeah, you're yeah, yeah, yeah. and like you're you're doing your thing in your unique way but let's say you were going to a, a clinic that worked very extensively with ultrasound and hot packs and ptas etc maybe you, that wouldn't be the greatest fit not saying there's anything wrong like that's the way that they that's what they value right but it's really important yeah. to to pick the clinic that that you really fit well with and you're probably going to have a lot more success this is more for the new new grads that that like to listen to our podcast but that's a big thing that that all of us have experienced in our career so far is really pick pick the place where you agree with the values that are being instilled and and propagated through the culture of the work environment like for sure yeah um wait i had a question actually um is there do you utilize um manual therapy like you know how you're like you use it mainly for like cueing and kind of like assessing and providing feedback with your manual therapy is there is there space in your or do you utilize manual therapy to open up some of that workspace that you were referring to or do you try to just create more workspace through just movement uh, I think I think a mix of both and kind of depends okay. on where the, the patient is in their, I guess, rehab process. Um, I think we can all agree that early on there is probably a little bit more value, if we, if we can call it that, in yeah. using manual therapy to kind of open up some of these doors for them to then do a lot of things for themselves to maintain that. Yeah, um, so exactly. Like the way I... I would phrase it in something that's like like I feel like ingrained in me at this point it's just that I see manual therapy as you know how you were mentioning like it, it might create that small difference right like, and it's very temporarily I see it as like a small hinge that like would open a very large door and the door at the end of the day is the person mm. that's move like creating more space for movement to be actually accepted that's like point. that's the kind yeah. of way that I kind of visualize it. That's yeah. like, totally true. Like even like I understand that it's a very tiny hinge. Like I'm like, do I really need this hinge? Like I, I, I don't know if I absolutely need it. I don't I don't see it that way. But if someone sees this hinge as being like the center, like the one that needs to be there for sure, that that's what their belief is, what I could do is implement that into my practice and allow the door to open a lot wider so then I can be like, okay, now you're opening up space to actually just do the movement therapy aspect of it. Does that that's make true. sense? Yeah, that's actually exactly, yeah. that's exactly how I use it. So let's like just add a quick example. Let's say I have an ACL patient, I have an ACL guy, he's struggling with knee extension, right? the way that I would approach that initially is to break that, like take, take that small door opening and do that through the process of maybe some manual therapy, knee extension, P-ROM with overpressure, right? Maybe I get him from like minus 15 to minus 10, something like that by the end of that. And yeah. then now the person has that avail that increased workspace like we were talking. And then maybe after that, we're going to do some, some like terminal knee extensions with, with the resistance band. And then take that and apply it more actively so they have more active control of it and then maybe you can end with something like a, a high step up into a triple extension on a on a step something where they're forced to use that knee extension along with hip extension too yeah. so it's something that also integrates that small area into a bigger picture but the manual therapy at the start it allowed you to open up a little bit more of that joint space so they're more comfortable with uh, you know, like gaining strength and uh, there's a word he said before, there's resiliency in, in mm, that range yeah. of motion. But if you don't have access to it, then you can create it at the start. I guess in a way that can help curate it. <laughs> <laughs> you, you can't see me, but I'm vigorously <laughs> nodding right now. Um, yeah, like I, I, I absolutely yeah. agree. Um, and I think like an, another benefit of Honestly, another benefit of manual therapy is like, especially if it helps open up some of these things is 
it just first of all it creates a little bit of that buy-in it's a little bit of proof of concept for that client as well it, it shows them that a change can actually be made and then you can kind of start to sell it as if we want to keep some of these changes so that we're not just working to open up the same shit all the time you're going to have to do this True. Um, and I think more important than any of that, in my opinion, in my personal opinion, more important than any, than any of that is the rela- the relationships and the strength of the relationship that I'm able to build while I'm doing manual therapy. Facts. I think that's more important for myself and for my practice right now than, than any other uh, perceived benefit of manual therapy is just the rapport I'm able yeah. to build with a client. For sure. Like sometimes I got these guys on the table and we're like working on their upper trap or something. And we're just having like the deepest philosophical conversations about life and and the workplace and, and et cetera. And then by the end of it, they almost feel like, oh, this is my boy. And so yeah. I trust what he's going to say. Uh, if he tells me to, some guys like were straight up telling me like, hey, you know what? You tell me to do this like four or five times a day, I'll do it. But I don't really think that would be possible if we didn't have those conversations about uh, other things outside of, like it's in life, you know. I think it helps for sure. Yeah. So awesome. it goes back to what we were talking about the last time, right? Like we were talking about what's effective and like, like, like it we're circling back to what we started with, right? Like every single person is gonna have a system, and whether we like to say it or not, everyone's gonna think their system's the way to go. Um, mm-hmm. But. At the end of the day, you have to think about the things that are pretty constant, right? Like the steps, the blueprint. Like, is it is, is it exactly the same? No, but it's very similar. And and the things that matter the I think the most are like the the relationship that we that we build with our clients. Not just like on the like, okay, can I make you laugh? Can we talk about this? Can we talk shit a little bit? Whatever. It's not it's not it's it's not just that. It's like can they trust you, right? Like, that trust comes from the personal stuff, but it also comes from our ability to instill that confidence through what we're doing with them. And and usually for me, it's like, like I'm sure it is for you guys too, it's, it's when they're able to just do that one thing that they came in that they couldn't do before. And it's usually mo- movement-based. It is always movement-based. Um, so if you can find a way to build that nice relationship and create a new movement for them that they couldn't do before you're you're on the money you're on the right track it doesn't here's, matter how you get there here's the thing with that though is let me know what, what your thoughts are on this do you ever find that someone is having a movement issue more because of a mental belief or a bias or emotional bias like, I, like I'll give you an example let's say someone's coming in there they're saying oh i'm having a lot of pain when i'm raising my shoulder like this i don't know what to do like i don't really i I don't really know how i can get better it's been happening for six months right yeah and personally i believe that i've literally seen that just in, in in like explaining to them the the traffic light model of pain or like the smoke alarm analogy of pain giving them a little bit of that education, that reassurance, or sometimes even just talking about something else that's going on in their life, right? Yeah. I've literally seen their range of motion increase before and after that. I've seen their performance change. So I, like, I'm saying that specifically because you said it's always movement-based. I actually don't agree with that. I don't think it's always primarily like, oh, they're doing a movement they did before. Sometimes it's just yeah. the attitude change. Sometimes they might even be worse when they walked out. I've had it happen a, f- a couple times where they were worse when they walked out or the same when they walked out, but we created the buy-in. I said, I, I'm sure it's going to get better, but we do need to do these things at home. Let's see you yeah. again. Let's, let's, let's establish a plan of care. And the mm. problem that I've had with, because that's how I used to think, is like, man, shit, like they didn't, they didn't see that movement change by the end of the session, so maybe I failed. But... Mm-hmm. As, yeah. at least since we got that person to buy in yeah. at least like that's actually a very big difference and I, I think that's what made my practice evolve a bit is like as soon yeah no as, I mean I think yeah I think I wait sorry sorry wait, no go ahead it's okay yeah 
No, I, I, I agree with that 100%. I think the person's like beliefs and, and the personal stuff, the biopsychosocial model comes into it a lot too. There's, there's certain things that, there was a guy I remember he was, I made his thing completely functional based and I, and his proxy for low back pain improvement, I, we kind of focused on his ability to kind of touch his toes, right? We, we always kind of made it around that because he was like 80 something, he was really old, right? He was a really old man. He's like, he told me straight yeah. up, he's like, I've never touched my toes in my life before. So he came in and he's like, my low back was hurting quite a bit and I can't do a lot of the things that I want to do. And I'm like, what are the things that you want to do? He's like, oh, I want to walk. I want to be able to lift things and I want to, I want to stay active, right? I used to be able to do a routine, et cetera, et cetera. About a few weeks late, like when we were working together, we got him so close to his toe touch that he said himself that he has never been this close, okay? But he said at the end of it that he wasn't feeling any better than when he did when we started, mm. right? So in my head, when I, when I heard that, I asked along the way we built a nice we built a nice relationship but he also shared the fact that he his partner was struggling at home and she had some conditions and things that prevented her from taking care of herself so he always mentioned that she, she needed his help at this point in his uh, in their life she helped him a lot when they were younger right so his pain no longer was based on my system of touching his toes his pain was his ability to basically complete the tasks that he needed to for his wife to return the favor. Right? So that's that was his system. Right? Like no matter what happens, if I can't fix that, it doesn't matter what I do for him practically and and based in my based on my system. Right? Yeah, man. So when it comes to the problem with that. The, the problem with that, though, is that, yes, sometimes you're like, oh, like, I wish he would have just told me. I wish he would have just told me that he was feeling a lot better. I do. But sometimes there are certain things that you just can't control, no matter what happens. Like, you can't, as a physio, what can you really do in that situation? Right? Yeah, man. You, you can't, you can't really, you can't really, like, help him out with that. You can tell him, like, oh, this is what the, was there for your wife maybe she can look into social service this you can't do that no matter what like what are you gonna you can't really do anything at that point so there there's that limitation over there so you do sometimes need to just rely i think on a movement movement based system but there are outliers where people just need to speak and let themselves kind of talk through their beliefs and the things that are kind of preventing them from moving in the way that they should because at the end of the day, if you're able to address those beliefs, even if you don't touch them, do an exercise, apply a system, whatever, they'll start moving better just because you talk to them. But then it always comes back to their ability to move, right? Whether you address their beliefs only or whether you do something in your practice. Yeah, I guess uh, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. Like, I guess the the best thing that comes out of that conversation is f focus on the the physiotherapy goals of the patient right and there's going yeah. to be many different routes to get there sometimes it's going to be addressing the mental barrier to movement sometimes it's going to be just physically executing the plan of care if that plan of care doesn't work trying a different one and reassuring them that different things work for different people um for sure. I, I think it, it goes back to what we talked about in school all the time, which is the answer to everything. It depends. <laughs> yeah, like human, humans are so complex, right? And the problems that we probably see in clinic are also so complex. So like we're, we're really just trying to fit what we're doing to the person in front of us's problems and trying to build and reverse engineer from where they want to be and where they're at right now. But I think that that road is always going to look slightly different based on based on that individual. So even even though we have those systems in place, there's always going to be a little bit of leeway and a little bit of shift um, to individualize that plan to that specific person. And I think that's kind of what 
both of you guys are talking about with how you're going to have to tailor that plan differently depending on the person you're working with. For sure, man. We're definitely all really complicated. And it's, uh, yeah. we're just complicated. And we're always working with the human nature of of our patients. And that's, that's pretty normal. Yeah, yeah for sure. <clears throat> now, uh, I could talk with you guys for hours, but... Uh, I just wanted to yeah, close off with this question is what are your future directions with curated mobility and your career in general? Like where, where do you see yourself headed and where do you see the physiotherapy space headed in the coming years? I think I'm, I'm actually really excited to see where physiotherapy goes in the next couple years because I'm noticing a bit of a shift in, uh, and maybe this is just biased based on what I see on a day-to-day basis, but I feel like the general patient who's coming in, or just general population in general, is a lot more savvy with what good quality care looks like, and that'll start to create a bit of a push in the physiotherapy profession in general for all of us to kind of upskill and kind of keep up with this. Otherwise, we're all just going to be left behind and TikTok's going to do our job for us. Um, As for (laughs) where I want to take curated mobility, I think this will be be a year where I really have to start thinking about what I want to do with all this. I've been playing around with whether I want to kind of step into the education space like the for clinicians or whether I kind of want to be a little bit more patient facing maybe a little bit of both I think either way I'm looking to shift more towards the online space with curated mobility Um, I never really saw myself having a brick and mortar at least with my own thing Mm -hmm. Um, and with the way I practice virtual is actually a really good fit and it allows me to reach so many more people Mm -hmm. um playing around with building out kind of like pre-built programs in the looking to have something like that done in first quarter we'll kind of see how things look that's awesome that's awesome because you're out you're outreach like i always say is like as long as as long as if you're going to be doing like workshops and things of that nature like in person there's a lot of value to it i think i always i always believe that but everything is dependent on your ability to move between spaces and creating time in your schedule yeah and if if you are like working with patients it's very hard to create that time and so therefore all the stuff that you have in your outreach not only to like professionals like like ourselves like me crab like also to your patients right like your outreach could be like so much wider if something's just pre-built and someone can just purchase it and and be like oh curated mobility oh yeah i know that i know that brand okay that that guy's so cool like you know he does this it's just buying and you can just you can just buy something and boom you have some information Mm -hmm. it doesn't even have to be that expensive right like yeah it could just be like something that's reasonable like um what like david gray does too and then it's so easily like like it just expands so quickly and that's just yeah i would imagine it's like beautiful to see um that you're just throwing out your philosophy and it's like allowing people just to get better your life yeah i'd buy that it just moves faster than you yeah because it just it just gets people moving in general and then if anything else needs to be funneled towards something a little bit more specific yeah. then that option is there as well well yeah you could even not have the, programs. Not the manual part though no 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 manual we don't do that here we, you could even do like programs though like you know like upper extremity lower extremity like i could totally see that like i would i'd promote that to my patients like screw it you don't need me do this damn program, get out of my clinic bro all you need is some TikToks and some pre-built programs. I'll just run yeah. traps for you. That's all you need. Social media is all you need. Yeah. Apparently. I'll, I'll just like rubber speaking, traps. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of getting, um, you, you kind of mentioned that 
you you would get more people to just move right what are some things that even before the pre-built programs that patients could um implement right now the people like generally like you know not just, not just the physios like what can people start implementing into their life right now that you think would be effective i think i think one thing that i implement with every single person who talks to me every single person who walks in the door is just some type of very basic movement practice throughout the day um through frc that just looks like our morning routine or our full body cars throughout the day it doesn't need to be cars as long as you're taking your body throughout every possible range of motion um, cars is just a very easy systematic way to approach that but i think the biggest bang for our buck right now especially with how society is and with how sedentary we are is just to start moving throughout ranges that you don't move in on a regular basis or on a daily basis this is great advice man mm. i'm gonna start doing like back bridges and shit <laughs> <laughs> i'm doing one right now you guys can't see oh i'm, I'm lying on the floor right now oh, i actually believe that <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm like back spring, back handspring position right now. There you go. But yeah, man, that was that was some good stuff, man. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to releasing this one. Me and Walid are, we're super excited to get you on. And uh, guys, we're gonna leave Josh's information in the bio. We're gonna link his Instagram and uh, any resources that he he wants to share with you is gonna be in the bio uh, below this episode. And uh, thanks a lot for coming, Josh. We really appreciate it. Appreciate you, Josh. Thank you so much. No worries. Thank, thank you guys for having me. You can uh, title this Curated Mobility Loves Manual Therapy. Yeah, of course, bro. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Curated I love it. Mobility, the F-Camp. <laughs> <I'm not that laughs> Anyways, man, that was great. And um, yeah, guys, we're going to see you next time. Keep tuning in. Uh, hopefully you got some value out of that. And uh, this has been the PT Lens Podcast. Peace. Explore your ranges, people. Explore. Ooh, I like that. Mm.